Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Biz Dads, episode 8, Memorial Day special taping on a Tuesday, plus Andres is up at our remote North Georgia location enjoying a beautiful mountain vista with his uh, wife and kids on a little Memorial Day getaway. Got a great show this week, we're going to talk about the match, we'll jump into a very special episode of Talks with Twist. A lot of great biz and sports talk where we've decided that our intros are going to be more regarding finance, private equity, tech, sports, media, content, all those different kind of things. We're going to take sports and business and mash them together so you'll have be able to enjoy that every week. Two parenting fails for the week given the long holiday weekend and finally our final four with the best publications for your daily news. Jumping into it this week, let's go with this week's Biz Dads. All right, Andres, how's the northern remote location treating you? Hey, Brad, happy Memorial Day to you and Twist, the mountains of North Georgia. Gosh, how to capture it all. Well, first and foremost, it's just great to get up here in the fresh mountain air and unplug. It's been awesome to not have great cell service and just, you know, experience these little towns. We've got a, a nice little place. It's got a creek in the back. The kids have just had an absolute riot uh, playing in the mud fishing doing all this good stuff so it's been a good it's been a good trip we've uh, we've definitely enjoyed it and a big change from city life in Atlanta how's your weekend you know it's funny we too were up in North Georgia beautiful Lake Burton you know the best thing uh, you know what's better than owning a, your own lake house and having your own boat right Andres that's having friends who have a lake house and a boat. So we got to uh, enjoy that this weekend. A shout out to our great friends, Beth and Shane, for hooking us up. Kids had a blast. Got a lot of tubing in out on the lake. Both boys braved the cold water. But I will tell you, I don't think the coronavirus or COVID-19 or the pandemic, whatever you want to classify it as, exists outside the perimeter, man. Because there is nobody paying any attention to social distancing on the lake this weekend. Yeah, I was going to tell you... The credit goes to to my wife and another family friend, uh, Lindsay and Matthew Firstel. They're up here with us, and you know, you guys like like Shane and Beth. You know, we we've uh, we've not traveled with them before, so this is the first time that we've we've really ever done a vacation where we've stayed in the same house. Um, and uh, we've seen them down in Florida at 30A and other trips, but uh, there's six kids, eight and under. Um, so the arrangement, the sleeping wow. arrangement. <laughs> The sleeping arrangement is worth um, always breaking down in this situation, right? So the Firstals have a little boy who's he's toddling around. He's not talking, but he's little, so he's on a nap schedule. So they are upstairs, and they have the you know the bedroom and everything. So Heidi and I are in the guest room downstairs, and then you know the the five other kids are like next door. Now Maximo, my young one, sneaks out. So there's usually at least three, if not sometimes four, in our bed by the end of the night. So sleep has been a little bit um, harder to come by. But the uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the trip's been fun. And to your point about social distancing, you're you're absolutely right. I think once you go a mile or two north of the perimeter in Atlanta, no masks, you know, no social distancing. It's uh, it's it's totally, it's literally a different world. I mean, we've made a couple of trips out to Walmart. And when you go into Wally World, the employees are wearing, you know, the masks are required. But for the most part, right, wrong, or indifferent, you know, I was in there on two consecutive nights, and uh, it's just a different take. It's a different approach. Yeah, it's been good to get out and just see a different part of Georgia. It's been fun. You, you and I have been up here before to the Apple festivals and all the little fall festivals, and it's it's a cool it's a cool way of life. My wife and I have decided that in order for our marriage to stay together and 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 harmonious as it is, I don't have to go to things like the Apple Festival anymore. <laughs> I will tell you, man, it, it was crazy to to experience this weekend because in the back of your mind you're still dealing with it and it's a topic of conversation and everybody's chatting about it. But it was God, it was so refreshing. You know, we had such an amazing time and and there's little jewels up on Lake Burton that you know I love the little biscuit place that I get up every morning in a total dad way I make sure that I get up before everybody else because I love going for that drive in the morning to go to the biscuit place so I got that in we go over to you know one of the marinas and it was just so refreshing 
to get out there and not have to worry about any of that stuff. And hopefully it's not going to be kind of like what Alabama's dealing with, where Alabama's seeing this little bit of a spike. I don't know if you saw this on CNN. And then they were interviewing people down on Gulf Shores, which, you know, is as Alabama as it can get. Right. Yeah. And they're, and of course, they pick the people to interview who are like, if I go, I go. <laughs> you know, they're like, if it's my time, it's my time. Um, it's like, all right, well, great, great representation of us down here in the South. But, you know, again, it, it was, it was a needed weekend for us. We needed to get away. And it was just really incredible to have that feeling out on the water and the kids were normal again and socializing. And, uh, my only other question for you now, are we being replaced on the 30A? <laughs> uh, family list. I want to make sure that the Sandatis and Olekis are talk me out of something. Hashtag you, you lives on. Are, you guys are so hardcore into youth sports now. Like we're trying to find a, we're trying to find a family where we can. No, I'm kidding. The thing about it, you know how during the shutdown, the socialization was all across the board. So my wife and Lindsay, being that our kids are all about the same age, and I think they just got to talking and they said, well, what would be a less expensive you know, shorter way for us to get out of Smyrna for a few days. And obviously, you know, going to Florida was up until what last week on Wednesday or Thursday, people were unclear if they're going to be able to go into week long rentals. And so that was kind of out of the question. So we started looking at some options and we we decided to come up to Ellijay. And so it's what, 70 miles from Smyrna. So it's an easy, quick drive. You wouldn't know that from how much crap we packed into our car. Yeah, you guys um, don't pack light. That's not the, no. the Sandate means heavy packers in Navajo, I think. <laughs> I can tell you, looking in my closet, I brought five pairs of running shoes, um, a couple <laughs> pairs of flip-flops. And you know this about my cables and cords and, and electronics, Brad. Like When I come, I'm prepared to record a show on my first vacation of the summer. You're prepared to launch a satellite when you go on vacation. Because I'm dedicated to biz dads <laughs> and, the, and the audience we're cultivating, so... So I've got the remote location going. It's been, um, no, it's been good. Like the house itself, we'll get into it later on. And one of the parent fails, you know, you can't rent a house and have six kids under eight years old running around without something blowing up or breaking. So we don't know. That security deposit might be long gone at this <laughs> point. But, but one quick funny story about our, our trip. So I pack all the fishing gear, right? And all the tackle, all the poles, and the boys, I'm like, you guys want to go fishing? So I grab Matthew, the other dad, his boy Jack, Renzo. We set off yesterday to go find a fishing hole. And you would think, here we are in you know, North Georgia, national forests all around. There's reservoirs all around, streams. Apparently, this is like the Georgia trout capital of the state. I didn't realize that. But we weren't looking either. for like high-end fishing guided tours we were just looking for a little place to throw in the poles well we come upon a pay-to-play pond so the pay-to-play pond you pay 10 bucks and the pond you can throw your line all the way across but you know there's like the dog that's got the you know broken hip that's walking around and (laughs) it's got got the putt putt and the gym mining and so we pay you know to get our poles in the water and this dude shows up he had never fished before. Here I am with all the tackle and all the gear, and this cat shows up. And I shit you not, Brad, he'd never fished in his life. They had to come out and teach him how to throw a pole in the water. And he fished with a hot dog, okay? Now, that was the first thing I should have known, that they were selling hot dogs for you to fish with. So I should have known right away, like, my nightcrawler worms was a bad call. Yeah, oh yeah. So he he throws in, and the dude coming out is like, yeah, uh, no, that's not how you cast. And he shows him how to cast. And so this guy has his line in the water. And about literally 10 minutes later, he catches the one and only fish of the 12 people they're fishing. And it's a four or five-pound huge catfish. And I was like, let's get the hell out of here. I'm so embarrassed and so mad. <laughs> the guy promptly pulled the fish in, took a photograph, Gave the pullback and left. I'm like, you know what? With all my gear and all my effort and all my planning, it was still a dad fail. <laughs> Fishing is an absolute test in, in, in your level of patience when you have kids. Because we did that this weekend too. And I spend more time <laughs> unraveling line <laughs> from poles than I do casting. And, you know, here we are 
you know, we were up at the house the night before our friends got there, Shane and Beth, and and I took the boys fishing. And of course, Shane, I, I post something on Instagram, and Shane just responds quickly with hashtag the fish are safe because he knows. <laughs> He's been there so many times where it has been absolutely miserable. He was there one time. I threw the damn pole in the water. I wasn't paying attention. It was It was just, look, I grew up fishing. I think I know what I'm doing. I haven't caught a fish with my kids in seven years since since they were born because it's, it's impossible. I don't have the temperament for it anymore. Margaret Ann is just constantly trying to calm me down to keep me from yelling at him. And all I can see is at some point somebody's going to get hooked and it's going to be, you know, terrible. There's something about Mary's scene where I got a kid with right. a fish hook out of his cheek. Yeah. No, and the, you're so right about the, the boys have no patience for fishing. And so we get to this pond and I throw the lines in and the bobbers and everything. And like it took took 15 seconds and Renzo and Jack are like, there's no fish here. Let's go to the next pond. Right. <laughs> After we drove an hour to get there. It's like the and, Netflix of, they all are in the Netflix generation of what can we watch next and why is there a commercial and what do I have to wait for? <laughs> that bobber's supposed to go underwater before I reel it in? Yeah. I feel your so, pain, brother. Yeah, no. We, we've had some good times. Now, Papa did redeem himself. We have a little stream back behind our rental. And so I have been out there faithfully. And I do have my Georgia fishing license. Um, I have been out there faithfully and I have caught two... You probably know what the fish are. They're these little, you know, two or three inch fish. I call they call them brine or breen or something. Yeah, brine, yeah. Um, yeah, so I've caught a couple of those, and the kids, you know, they've been going nuts over that. We've seen some wildlife, some deer. I think we saw a beaver, snakes, you know, toads, frogs, all the stuff that you know. If you're a little kid and you're at a rental house, I mean, it's it's a summer making experience. So we did been, have. Uh, um, been, we've had plenty of experiences fishing together down on the you know, shore fishing. So I know the level of determination that the DJ takes out <laughs> to, to fish. So I can yeah. guarantee you weren't going to go down lately. You know, we did have a, did have an anniversary and congratulations to you and Margaret. Yeah, Anna. you too. Happy anniversary. anniversary. I know yours is coming up. We got married one weekend apart. Yeah. Sunday night was the, the big one, one. It was our 11th anniversary. And a year ago we were actually in Italy for our 10th. And so we uh so you know we wanted to do something special so we we started debating at like two o'clock in the afternoon okay are we gonna order out or are we gonna go you know the other you know the other couple Matthew and Lindsay offered to watch the kids we was like nah let's not go sit in a restaurant so I ended up making this run to to buy groceries and got to you know get out in the town of LJ and yeah it's a unique spot as you know I mean it's a it's a slower pace of life up here and there's a ton of rentals up here a ton of rental cabins and it's only an hour and twenty minutes hour and 30 minutes north of, of Atlanta. So, but it strikes me. It's one of those places where I think you have to know your way around in order to kind of fully experience all that it has to offer in terms of mountain biking and hiking. We did this cool waterfall walk on uh, Sunday, which was awesome. But so much of the stuff up here, I feel like is kind of hidden and off the beaten path. You have to sort of know where you're going. We were talking about going over to Tallulah Gorge, which is, you know, this gorgeous waterfall and Canyon. And we're reading about it on the way up to the lake. And um, Margaret Ann's like, oh, man, there's like 700 and something steps to get up and down. And she's like, do you think the kids can do that? I'm like, shit, do you think I can do that? Like, let's find somewhere else to go. Yeah, right. So we ended up, you know, finding our way around and doing a lot more water sports this weekend. But we did have our anniversary dinner as well because we share an anniversary with Shane and Beth, like I mentioned. Through this pandemic, one of the big restaurant suppliers has been selling food out of their their freezer truck individually wrapped like steaks and and we've done everything from our easter ham from them to these great you know my friday good friday fish fry with the boys they they had a fried mahi mahi because they were selling this incredible stuff for our anniversary dinner i had lobster tails connecticut lobster tails which about you know four ounces we had sea scallops that i had gotten from our trip at 38 last fall and fillets and it was unbelievable we had taken up some good bottles of red wine and it's probably one of the best meals i'd ever had especially having drank that much wine we got to tap into the good stuff this weekend and truly celebrate our anniversary which you know i still don't know what i'm getting her for the gift i got a couple days but um man it's uh we're not gonna match that meal at a restaurant that's for sure 
There's a trend, Brad. Last week it was French wine and an open flame with some other friends, and this week it's scallops and fillets. I can tell you, your meal, your meal budget and your uh, experiential budget is uh, making me look bad because all I could come up with, the first grocery store I stopped at, I won't name names, but they only had liver left over, <laughs> and uh, I figured my wife wanted to eat better than the catfish in the local ponds, and so I passed on the liver. And there truly was a meat shortage. Like I asked the guy at the front, I'm like, what's the deal? He's like, dude, have you been here? I'm like, there's no meat. And so the no liver on the menu for the eleventh anniversary. And uh, so I went to the good choice. The second I went to the second store, which was your, you know, the, the big Walmart, the supercenter. It was a it was a is a toss up between, you know, choice fillets or or choice ribeyes. I chose both. So we had a uh, we had a little steak ourselves for the anniversary. Beautiful. Um it was fun. It was a good time. So sounds like Memorial Day weekend was a success. It was a good one. It was a good one. Twist, Twist told me earlier on on one of our staff calls that this was the greatest weekend of her life. Wow. She said the greatest weekend of her life. Now you and I have had a lot more weekends than Twist has, but Twist, tell us about your weekend. It truly was the best weekend of my life. If I could have an ideal beach weekend. It would have been what just happened. We kayaked. We played games on the beach. We played beer die. I said my high and low of the trip was when my boyfriend made me get in the two-person kayak and tried to surf the waves with him. And the best part of the weekend was the four seconds that we were on top of the wave. And the worst part was when we were tumbling with the wave and the kayak that was pretty interesting at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then we just played so many games. We had a great group of people, just a lot of laughs. Everyone needed a break from this quarantine. So everyone was just in really high spirits. So we just had a ball. And that's this week's episode of Relationship Analogies brought to you by Twist. Because I think most relationships start with a wonderful high at the top of the, the crested wave and then tumble down <laughs> into the ocean waters. That is, uh, that's what your we're, that's what we're going to call your book when you write it. Whether or not you will, you will get married. We'll have that. Uh, that'll be part of my speech. Uh, it was a good Memorial Day weekend, but you know, big big weekend uh, both for us personally, but also in the sports world was the match: Peyton Manning, Tiger Woods versus Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady. And you know, a little special place in our heart. My beautiful wife was very involved in the marketing and promotion of the match, part of her job at Turner. And um, they had all the rain, and she thought we're going to be rained out for sure. And so she's dealing with all of that, and, and I'm wrangling the kids and. Um, but finally, they obviously they got it going, and what an incredible production that was! I just I love it. You know, you learn the personalities of these guys, and I think the personality winners were for sure uh, Peyton Manning and Phil Mickelson. I didn't realize yeah. Brady was as dry as he as he is. You know, he he needed to split open a little bit more, like his pants, open that personality <laughs> a little bit more. For those of that that saw Tom Brady split his pants while picking a ball out of a hole, I think we've all had that experience, right? Oh uh, yeah, or worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I I could not have imagined a more fun thing to watch because they had Charles Barkley doing, you know, an analysis. They had Justin Thomas there on, on course. He was really great. But Charles busting Tom Brady's chops, you know, the whole round. Yeah, yeah, everybody, yeah. and then and Twitter going crazy because Tom Brady is is actually human, right? Sure, his golf yeah. game wasn't looking too good. It was fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, no, I mean, I think for sure it's definitely another one of those events that you look at and you say, how's this going to go over and what's it going to be like? And then from everything, I didn't get to see it. Um, well, from a, if you're a serious golfer, I, I heard one of the things that was kind of neat was to hear Phil kind of breaking down like greens and how to read the shade and, and the grass and all this kind of stuff for people that are serious into golf. And then the people are just more casual sports fans just to see these guys out there like Peyton Manning and Brady who have had obviously so much success in one domain get out there and really truly be amateurs in a totally new domain. I think we can all kind of relate to that. So, um, oh, yeah. Two of the best athletes in their sport, two of the best athletes yeah. in the world struggling yeah. with a little, you know, left, right army golf like mm -hmm. the rest of us. It was, it was really cool because I, I like Phil Mickelson even more now. His, his social media game has been ridiculously strong as of late, and he came strong 
pre-match. Now, they didn't win, but he's just got such a great personality for this kind of thing. So entertaining, and I, I loved it. And then you get, you know, you add in the personalities like Charles Barkley and, and Justin Thomas. I mean, that kid's like 20. He's like your age, Twist. He's like 24 years old, and he seems like a seasoned pro out there just talking about it. Now, he, he grew up in the business. His dad was a pro in Louisville, and... um just so natural. Was, uh, he'll have a career, long, long career after his long, long playing career is over. Yeah. That was fun to watch. But 5.6 million average viewers, I think, across the four networks. The largest audience to watch a golf broadcast on cable television in history. And they so, raised $20 million, right? So $10 million million was bucks. put up by the sponsors and the players, and then another 10 was raised during the actual match. Correct? Oh, yeah. And you know, props to, to my wife and all of the, her, that team that works over there that did an amazing job because it was a lot of money raised. You know, All four of those guys have also been in the All-In Challenge, which we talked about, and they've all raised a tremendous, a bit cumulatively, the four of them probably raised almost $3 million on their respective all-in challenges because they've all had huge, huge bids on it. But it was, again, cool to watch. And from our point of view, with what we do at Trenches, it was fascinating to watch the sponsor engagement. You could see how brands were really looking for something to to get behind. Um, Brands that you don't traditionally see in a very visible environment like that Cisco was the technology partner that helped make it all possible. You know, Wheels Up, a brand that we've done some stuff with, great guys at Wheels Up who who obviously were there for travel purposes. You know, then you had Audi, and of course, at all, Capital One was was behind the whole thing. Um, there's a brilliant team at Capital One that does this kind of stuff, and you know, even had Sam Jackson doing the uh, the intros for all four golfers, which was really funny to listen to at the very beginning. You could see the guys get a little uncomfortable because Sam Jackson is pre-reading all these or pre-recording all of these intros and the guys are having to listen to it live and he's talking about all their accolades and you know I mean he calls Tom Brady the goat G-O-A-T right and then he's got to announce Peyton Manning right after that mm-hmm. and I think you know Peyton didn't have as big of a an intro but Peyton sure he showed up on the uh, on the course and played much better he was the better golfer of the quarterbacks it's all that practice at Augusta I, I learned in looking into where these guys play golf that he's a member of Augusta. So that must be pretty cool for him. He got, got could play golf anywhere he wants to play. Any of them can. <laughs> it doesn't matter where he's a member. But it was fun. Yeah, you know, it was a good – overall, I love watching it. I think there's room for those kinds of things in sports to continue, not just during the pandemic. But I, I think you're going to see more and more of that kind of stuff, that cross and mashup of, of top athletes in their sports and – Golf, tennis, those are games that a lot of people can get out and play but not have to be good at it to be entertaining. Let me ask you one question about the guys that played. Which of them, if you were going to play in a, you know, a scramble and be with some, you know, play golf with somebody right around for three or four hours, which of them seemed the most like chill and laid back in terms of just that'd be a fun way to spend an afternoon? Well, dude, it's funny you asked that question because I thought about that and I don't know if I have an answer. I would say Tom Brady would be the fourth. I would not. I mean, I, I nothing against Tom Brady, but I just had. He seems he doesn't seem like a kind of guy he and I are going to get get along and chum it up. Peyton Manning and Phil Mickelson are the two that I would want to play with most. I don't know which one more. Tiger, of course, because he's the greatest athlete in his sport. He, he's probably the most recognizable and gifted athlete in any sport of all time, right? I mean, he's dominated that sport and changed the game more than anyone else has. Even we talked to Jordan for the longest time. Tiger probably has had a bigger impact on golf than Jordan had on basketball. Even though Jordan was what made the game global, Tiger is what made the game not just global, but socioeconomically agnostic. Like Everybody watched Tiger. But his he seems so stiff. So I think I would probably say Phil on a golf course first, but I don't want to go drink a beer with Peyton in the 19th hole. That yeah. would be my that would be my my perfect situation because to your point Phil was re- as a golfer. I love the help that Phil was getting or giving. Like I would love that. I would eat that up. I would take a playing lesson all day long. Right. No, it's kind of consistent with what I read. I mean, I was curious because you play a lot of golf. You play a lot more golf than I have in my life. I mean, I like to play, but it's uh I I I kept kind of reading the stories and they sort of all consistently came back to, you know, Tiger was Tiger, you know, more you know, he's still in his he's not in his prime, but he still plays professionally. He's more that sort of unapproachable cyborg golfer 
you know, and it's competition. And we saw how competitive Jordan was, and obviously Tiger's competitive. Doesn't matter if it's a, you know, a little scramble. He probably wanted to win. And then, yeah, I don't know. Brady, for me, I mean, obviously the greatest quarterback of all time, but never felt like just from the standpoint of, I don't know if it's the marketing or the way he's chosen to market himself or be approachable, just always has been a little bit more that cool hand Luke kind of quarterback. Um, whereas Brady and Manning, when you look at them, I mean, Manning was always the one that had the endorsements and was always the one that seemed more of the kind of happy-go-lucky guy. And he finally did win a couple Super Bowls. So uh, sounds like it was cool. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing some highlights when I get back to civilization. <laughs> It's definitely something I look forward to seeing, the, the 2.0. I think they've got three of those they've signed up for. So that means there's more to come, which is really exciting. I'll make Everybody make sure you tune in when uh, you hear that those marketing messages from, uh, from my better 90%. All right, Andres, a very special treat this week on the Biz Dad Spectrum, and that is Talks with Twist. Our attempt to attract a younger business professional audience. Those of Twist's friends who are spike balling it up and kayaking across the beautiful waters of the Atlantic in Jacksonville and her vast network of millennial movers and shakers. So Twist, talk to us. Hey guys, super excited to start off this new segment. I wanted to make Talks with Twist a conversation for the young professionals and the recent graduates. So to start off, as we know, times are uncertain, people are scared, and jobs are scarce. Do you guys have any advice for the 2020 graduates during this time? Well, Go I would back say to school. For, <laughs> yeah. Look, the class coming out, whether it's college or grad school, I mean, certainly entering probably the toughest economy and toughest job market that certainly Brad or I and many other people entered. I think the first thing you have to do is know that, right? You have to know that there, it's just a really tough environment out there. So hopefully folks don't get too discouraged because I think when jobs do start to come back and the economy does start to open up, I think employers, recruiters, headhunters, people that are looking for people are going to want to see that you have an understanding that we just went through a major economic shock. And so you have to kind of recognize what these employers are dealing with. And so your expectations have to be kind of calibrated in line with those companies, those industries, um, whether it's we don't have as many marketing dollars to spend or we're going to be changing our marketing budget and our strategy or, you know, the most important thing right now is somebody that can go out and make sales happen, uh, less somebody that can come out here and do creative work. I mean, I think you just have to really step back and realize what companies have gone through and try to put yourself in a situation where you can be an asset that can do multiple things for companies and not be so focused in on doing what you went to college to do. You know, because it's right now about getting good work experience and then looking for better days ahead. That's kind of my first overall comment. Yeah, that's great. I think they have to ask themselves, what is their differentiator, right? To Andres's point, what skills do they have? What differentiates and separates them from the rest of the class? And it's not being a valedictorian. It's not just being the president of their fraternity or sorority or, or an athlete. It's what is what are the intangibles that stand out and use this time to work on them, use this time to perfect them and to figure out how to message them appropriately. The more I see a, a, a young person who can communicate clearly and has a incredible delivery, as we've always talked about, Twist, right? And and that is just easily understood and, and free-flowing from them when I'm talking with them or when I read their email. I mean, gosh, I can't tell you how many emails I get that are ridiculous, poorly spaced, terrible grammar. There's, there's just a strain of consciousness, and I, I don't necessarily respond to those all the time. So you have to figure out what your pitch is, what your elevator pitch is, and what differentiates you from the rest of the group, because that's what's going to stand out to somebody. There may not be a job right now with that person that you reach out to, but that person knows other people. And that person is going to determine whether or not they're willing to help you because someone helped them all along the way. And volume and velocity is how you're going to get in front of those people. 
take swings, as many swings as possible to get in front of them, but make sure for crying out loud, you're buttoned up and that you are showcasing something that differentiates you from the rest of the group. That's great insight. So it's going to be hard to get jobs after quarantine, better yet an interview. So do you guys have any interview tips or just interviewing tips in general? You know, I, I love the interview process. I love the challenge and the competition of trying to win the job. It's just as exhilarating as winning a putt to win your bet. I think, one, they need to go into it looking at it as a competition. And they need to figure out, again, what do they need to do? What is the one thing that they're – one or, or, or two things that they're going to really hang their hat on? You know, one, when someone asks you if you have any questions – you better have questions at the end of the interview. Don't come ill-prepared. It's the last thing that they're going to remember about that conversation. So I guess I could talk about this forever, but there are a couple things that I would make sure that they do. Research the person that you're interviewing with, the people that you're interviewing with. Understand things that are out there about them that you may be able to speak to or have some sort of connection. You know, Twist, you're very good at this connection game, being a connector of people. And that's, you know, what endeared me to you in in the beginning. That is something that stood out. Find out what is it that's going to stand out. What is it that you have a connection with that individual? Be prepared to ask questions about their business and what your responsibility is going to be to help them grow that business. Because if you aren't prepared with questions, you're not going to shock them, surprise them, give them any insight to how you prepare research, you know, and, and what your level of inquisitive nature is, and which I think is all, you know, great assets that we look for when we're hiring somebody. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Well said. I, I think in terms of interview, I think you have to really focus on nailing your, I mean, some people call it an elevator pitch. Some people call it a value proposition. When somebody says, tell me about yourself, that might be the opener of a line of questions. I think in the interview, you have to be like Brad said, very prepared and try to have fun and yet not come off as arrogant, not come off as too confident. There's a fine line, right? Because people in this, you know, recovery are going to be looking to get back up on their feet and grow. And depending on what roles they're looking to fill with the younger workforce, the younger professionals, they may say, well, gosh, this person's more seasoned than somebody that's one or two years out of school or six weeks out of school. I could put them in a job knowing that they're going to pay you less than somebody that's got three to five years of work experience just based alone on how you present yourself, how you shake hands, how you dress, how you make eye contact. And a lot of those things, unfortunately, are not things that are taught in business school or in, you know, uh, communications programs or journalism programs. And the reason is because a lot of colleges don't have the time and they don't feel that a lot of those soft skills are necessarily their job. You know, it's not why people become academics, right? So I think you have to you have to really go into those interviews, again, having done your homework, being extremely curious. And then when you get that opportunity and somebody says, tell me about yourself, like really have that elevator pitch, have that value proposition nailed down and really try to think about if I'm in their shoes, maybe I have eight or 10 interviews to do today, right? With eight or 10 candidates, or maybe it's over the course of the next two or three days. And you got to think about how am I going to stand out from everybody else that's qualified, that's hungry, that's got a good degree, that's got, you know, a year or two of work experience. How are you going to stand out? And I think you've got to really be able to make it extremely punchy in two or three sentences as to, you know, why you're a great candidate for the job. And then at the end of the interview, I think you need to ask for the order or said another way, you need to ask for the job because if they don't think that you really want it, and they think that your life will go on and you'll be fine. That could be the difference between them thinking, well, this is meaningful to them and this will make a difference in their life versus this is somebody that's got three other opportunities and it's not a big deal if we don't bring them on. So It's great. I, you know, to piggyback on that last statement about you know asking for the job, one of the things I've had the most success with and I've always been intrigued when others have, have utilized it when I'm hiring them is to ask you know, what reservations do you have about hiring me right now? Put them on the spot. What are some concerns that I've, that you have based on how I've outlined things today? Don't be afraid of that 
feedback because if you don't get that job, you're going to get the next job because of the answer that they give you, you're going to be able to go work on. I got to tell a funny story here, DJ, when young twist came to our office, um, at trenches, that was an, Oh no, by the way, if that doesn't come through in the audio, I think I picked that up. (laughs) And was very just bubbly and outgoing and just very well, you know, put together in how she presented herself. But I will tell you, without going into grave detail, she butchered two aspects of the interview. Butchered. <laughs> straight up New York deli styled this thing. And I thought I had to think long and hard. And the last question, uh, Andres, I ask every candidate is I ask them to tell me a joke. Okay. And it's not because I want to hear the joke. I want to hear what they do when they're put on the spot. They're not expecting it. And they. I want to hear how many, oh, oh ooh, man, that's a tough one. How, how long do they they banter before they actually come up with something? What's their what's their fill tactic, right, for, for buying time? <clears throat> and and it, she, it could not have gone worse. Because she decided not to tell a joke. She decided to tell a story that left me questioning how this was going to go. Maybe someday we'll get into it in a little more detail. But I will tell you that it was it, the worst story I possibly could have told. It was. Absolute worst. Can, why don't you tell it? It'll be on the airwaves forever. Let's let it go. Plus, people will start to question my hiring tactics. Yeah, true. <laughs> so, but I will tell you, it was the the intangibles and the feeling that I got from twist in talking with her for the other, I don't know, 35 minutes. I was able to forget that five minutes of complete insanity that she uttered (laughs) and sputtered around. Um, and I, I finally decided she was a good fit and it has been a great hire. And I will say that with her here, but it, it, it could not have gone worse, but it also echoes the importance of the entire impression that you give the intangibles that you have and how you stand out amongst several other candidates that were in her same position or vying for the same position. So great question. So moral of the story, always have a joke prepared. (laughs) So recent graduates had their school year cut short and now they're thrown out into the real world. They might know what industry they want to be in, but have no clue what type of job could lead them to their dream job. So do you guys have any advice for what should be a recent graduate's first job fresh out of college? Yeah, I mean, so I think there's two things I would like to to sort of say about this. The first thing is, look, a lot of people just went through this pandemic and are still struggling with it. And if you're in an interview or you're in a, a situation where you're networking with somebody, you don't know what they've gone through. So you can't come into this thinking like your situation is so bad because you didn't get to finish your school year and you didn't get to go through graduation. You didn't get to have your last four months. You could be talking to somebody who literally had COVID and or lost a parent or lost a loved one. So I think you have to be very sensitive about just this whole dynamic over the next you know three, four months. And then I think in terms of the experience that you've learned from being at home, and doing school remotely and online. Like, I think there's some things you had to overcome or if you got displaced from a job and you're suddenly out of work and you're, you know, a year out of school, like there's already some adversity you're dealing with. And one of the things, at least in my field, that I think gives people a lot of credibility is if you've been through a financial crisis or not. Like, have you been through 2001 while working in the field? Have you been through 2008 and nine while working in the field? Have you now been through, like we all are going through, what it's like to you know, have your industry rocked by the pandemic? And I think that if you stay through those experiences in your industry, you start to gain experience that only you can get through years of being in the industry. Now, in the absence of having that, what are you doing to upgrade your skills, for example, right now? Like, what are you doing instead of thinking, man, there's no job fairs and you can't go meet people in person and you can't network in person, I can't go to conferences. Instead of thinking about it from a negative, you're saying, well, how can I leverage all the technology and the social connections and all the things that my generation probably has a leg up on for age, much less people 10, 20 years older than us, what can I do to be expanding my network, to finding ways to add value, to building connections, building interviews, 
even going so far as to do more informational interviewing to find out if a job that you're looking at as potentially interesting two, three years from now is really what you think it is. Because I've found from my personal experience, and I don't know about you, Brad, but there's jobs that I thought I was going to really enjoy or those careers and fields I thought I was going to really enjoy until I started meeting more people in them. And then I was like, wow, what a relief. I found out that's not what I want to do. And sometimes taking a job, and particularly in this economy, getting some experience when there's you know anywhere from 10 to 20% unemployment that we're staring at over the next two, three, four quarters, getting any kind of professional experience that will give you skills that are transferable, whether that's sales, whether that's customer service, whether that's project management, you know, thinking about the functional skills that you can be getting and accumulating right now, hopefully while getting paid to do it, are things that are going to be transferring for you in a year or two. Uh, because I can almost assure you that what you set out to do today is going to look a lot different as an industry and as a career and as a job in two or three years. Absolutely. That's fantastic advice. I mean, at the end of the day, people's career paths are going to change several times. And those that are the most versatile are the ones that are going to be able to carve their path and, and determine exactly what that dream job is. I think you have to get, as to Andres's point, you have to get as much experience as possible. Especially in this time, don't be afraid to find some hourly work and be an apprentice to someone who's building a business. Don't be afraid to take internships, even though it may not be the best financial situation. Um, you've got to make sure that you do everything possible to get them as much experience as you can, because you know people are looking f for that. And with so many people in this country who are, you know, self-employed or are building businesses, don't be afraid to go work for somebody in an environment that you may not think is your current job path or simply because you learn and will be thrown into elements that you would never be thrown into in a large company in an entry-level position. Andres, I told Twist that when she started with us, I was like, look, I can't guarantee you the best salary and I can't guarantee you the best benefits, but I can tell you that you're going to be in rooms with people that no 23-year-old should ever be in. And, and you're going to be a part of everything that we do. And hopefully you have a very long career here. But if you don't, we're going to make you into the five-tool athlete, right? And I, that my last point being, I don't think people look at this enough like a sport. You know, fine-tune your skills so that you are well-rounded and versatile to the person that ultimately is going to hire you. And then that person is going to continue to help you sharpen those skills for that next job. It's like, I don't ever want anybody who's just going to be stagnant, staying and working with us in the same environment. I want somebody who's looking for that next great thing because they're driven, they're hungry. You got to prove that to us, right? When you're in the front part of the process. And, and I think if you're willing to go work for, for free, be an apprentice, you know, take on a project for somebody, a resume doesn't speak to timelines necessarily. A resume the beautiful part about it is that it can almost be a longer version of that elevator speech. And, and, and that one project that you may work on for two or three weeks could be worth a year's worth of experience. If it's the right project with the right people and people don't think about it that way. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. I've got two quick little stories to finish this out. So the first is we, yeah, I hired a, uh, a young professional that was, you know, a month, maybe three months out of undergrad about a year and a half ago. And she still works at our firm. Uh, and she's been just a rock star. And I went to Dallas on a business trip. She was interning at a company in Dallas and was looking for full-time work, had just finished school at Florida State and had gotten a finance uh, degree. And she came, met me for coffee, and we met, had a good conversation. She was willing to relocate. I think showing flexibility, showing a willingness to you know, look at other cities is always going to be looked at as a positive. And she's hit the ground running. And she turned down jobs with bigger banks and bigger financial institutions to come work at our firm at Cygnus because she wanted to get a lot of experience. And to Brad's point, that's, that's really what we promised her was that we could give her a lot of experience that she was not going to get you know, for 10, 15 years at some of the bigger firms. So I think you have to be willing to even look at smaller firms. I think the other thing as you're asking these questions that came back to me is 
you know, when I finished my master's degree, I had been living overseas at that point for three years. And I came into what I thought was a decent job market. I mean, it was 2004. So the dot-com bust had happened in 2000, 2001, and things were kind of coming back. And, you know, really the economy started to just boom in 06 and 07 leading up to the 08 financial crisis. But point is, I was in a market that I didn't know people. And so one of the things I would give you as a piece of advice and to other young professionals is really you got to leverage your network right now. It's so critical. You know, you got to have family and friends. Uh, and if you don't have a network because you don't have those connections, you got to really start looking for ways to make those connections, whether it's through LinkedIn uh, or through, you know, your university. Hopefully your university's helping. But one of the things that I, I did right out of school with an MBA and an undergrad is that I worked and sold clothes. I mean, I don't even know if Brad knows that, but I couldn't find a job. And I, 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 wanted, I wanted to go work. So I went to Brooks Brothers and sold clothes, sold suits, and um, actually got some awards from the local, local Brooks Brothers for some of my success because I, was just, I just showed a passion for it. And from there, I sold kitchens um, for Sears Home Improvement. And then from there, I went into commercial truck leasing and sales. And then from there, I got a job at SunTrust in the bank. And so my career path has not been you know, the straight up you know, uh, trajectory. It's been a lot of twists and turns. And I think you got to have a long-term approach. Yeah, that is great. Well, this has been an amazing segment. I'm sure y'all could talk way more on all of those topics I went through. I think people my age and young professionals are really going to get a lot out of this segment. So thank you guys for answering all those questions. And that was Talks with Twist. Well, Andres, some interesting stuff going on in, uh, in the biz industry. We had talked about trying to find an area where sports and business intersect for both of us passion that we have and you know where where private equity and finance uh intersect with technology entertainment sports media um i think that's a it's a passion point for both of us there were some interesting things going on in the news this week um particularly around you know growth investments that um companies like huddle have taken on um mm-hmm. huddle has really quickly positioned itself as a a leader in the industry from a technology standpoint, from a content standpoint. If you don't know, HUDL is um, really the global leader in sports performance analysis. They have an incredible platform that is used by just about every high school coach in the country. Um, they are invaluable from as a recruiting tool for parents. Um, you know, they're they're one of, of many players in the space who are trying to provide resources, but that's an example of where, you know, Bain um, is getting in that business and helping those types of companies. Uh, And it's just very interesting. I mean, there's a lot of unique things out there for people who want to learn more about it. I think we should probably spend an entire episode talking about this kind of stuff, but that was one that I found was pretty interesting. I know you found some others too that were interesting this, this week. Yeah. I mean, Bain, uh, for those of our listeners that don't know who Bain is, Bain uh, Capital is a big private equity firm in Boston. And uh, they recently launched a, uh, what they call Bain Technical Opportunities Fund. And one of the you know, first investments, one of the early investments is, is in Huddle. And it fits into a vertical that they've identified. And one of the things that I, I just liked about this transaction or this investment is Huddle you know, Brad, this is probably more in your wheelhouse, but you know how digital content and video content is just absolutely blowing up uh, in in terms of youth sports and amateur sports. And I guess Huddle is one of the one of the main platforms, if not the main platform, that's used across the country and now globally in terms of recruiting services and uh, and capturing, you know, tournament action, etc. And so. I think the idea behind the investment from Bain is that they can leverage this uh, investment and other vertical marketing investments that they've made in, in other content providers across their platform and really expand some of the things that Huddle's uh, in. Because Huddle's not a new company. It's been around for, what, 14 years now? It's uh, yeah, was founded in 06. So it's, it's a m- more mature technology company. So this might be considered more of a growth stage or a later growth stage investment from Bain. But uh, we don't have all the details of the investment itself, but it, 
it's one of the things that I think would be fun for us to cover in this in this business segment is how there's this growing intersection of private equity and big institutional pools of capital looking for new uh, emerging growth platforms. And increasingly, those are in areas like content, uh, sports, media. And I think we, we can use the show and this segment as a means to capture some of the ones that we found, you know, and find on a weekly basis to be pretty interesting. So, so that was, you know, that was one of the first ones. And we'll continue to share more details as we learn more. You know, it's interesting, too, as athletes start to be more cognizant of their brand as well with the amount of money that they're making. I mean, this is just an, a space where you're going to have a lot of high-profile VC firms, private equity groups, and athletes coming together to be in this space. Because, look, when AT&T bought Warner Media, right, and HBO and all, and became this huge company, when when Comcast Universal bought you know NBC, I mean, live sports is an example of the type of content that they're putting time and energy behind. Um, it's pretty fascinating to watch how you know we can consume you know for lack of a better term drama, entertainment, or sitcoms or those kind of things, reality TV at any time, any place, but. But the live sports, the environment around those live sports isn't going anywhere even after all of this crazy pandemic we're dealing with. It's only going to be an area where technology needs to play a bigger role, where um, where content's going to be even more engaging. And that's a great place for people to invest. And it's going to be, I think, a great topic for us to talk about more. So, look, we're yeah. getting the website up and going this week for uh, BizDads. We'll put some of these articles that we were reading online so people can check them out. But I think it'd be good as we were short on time here tonight. It'd be good for us to make sure that we provide those types of resources for folks. Yeah, no, I mean, for the finance world, too, like you, there's a lot of disruption happening in sports and media, et cetera. But in the finance world, more and more of these bigger private equity firms are starting growth and technology platforms because they want to get uh, involved in the tech world, the tech space is growing so much and software is continuing to be super disruptive. We've seen what's going on with the pandemic and how critical software uh, and cloud-based, et cetera, can be to a company's vibrancy and frankly, it's, it's viability. And so this is the first of what I expect will be a number of tech opportunity funds that we see coming out from some of the big groups. Uh, and it'll be interesting for us to follow the trend. That's great. Well, let's jump into uh, our parenting fail to kind of round things out for the week here. We both had our families in what I would consider tight quarters <laughs> this weekend. That leaves uh, plenty of room for parenting fails. I'll start, Andres, you cap us off. How about that? Sounds good. Time for this week's parenting fail. So, Andres, uh, Andres it's uh, Memorial Day. You know, we didn't have fireworks, but we wanted to celebrate something. So our good buddy Shane had gotten some Oriental lanterns, yeah. and we decided to go down to the dock with the boys. We figured out we're going to take my two boys and and his oldest one and go down there and light them up. Well, like I said, we had been drinking the good wine and been on the lake all day, and I've realized that the older my kids get, the more they talk trash. So we had five lanterns. Lantern one was a colossal failure. Lantern two was almost equally as bad. And my kids decided it was funny to start then jabbering about us not being able to get these things going. Well, we finally realized what the problem was and got three out of the last three up in the air. But the parenting fail here is, is ultimately make sure you are fully prepared to Put your best foot forward on these things because your kids are not going to ever let you forget it. Even today, Ben was giving me trash about the first two failing miserably, and uh, he's not going to let me forget that I was still – I was three for five. I mean, that puts me in the Hall of Fame in Major League Baseball, DJ. Yeah. I needed – you know, I don't need his trash talking. So, <laughs> But you're introducing him to something hopefully, you know, cultural, memorable – you got to try, and that's what we do here at BizDads, is we just try to provide experiences. Because I can assure you, Mr. Bruce Olecki never took you on a vacation and had the ability to take you down to a dock and light a Chinese lantern 
an attempt to let it go. So nothing against Bruce, but you know, you're growing, you're, you're providing experiences to your kids. Well, look, I, I had an amazing, amazing childhood with Bruce. Uh, but needless to say, I do remember one of the best parenting fails ever. And that was when we rented a boat mm-hmm. and we rented a pontoon boat on the lake. And this ties in really well with your story because we rented the boat. Yeah. He had a little charcoal grill, you know, the one that just had like a camping grill, like the feet kind of fold out underneath the bottom and it's only got about three inches of clearance and he proceeded to cook, (laughs) cook our hot dogs and hamburgers while burning a hole into the bottom of the boat. (laughs) I love you, dad. Oh, well, that's awesome. Well, that that's a good parent fail. Well, I've got an ongoing parent fail. So we are uh, at a rental home in Ella J, Georgia. Of course, anybody that's ever rented a house knows there's a security deposit. And I'm one of those people that's always like, what we break, you know, right when the kids get there or what's broken so we can at least call the property manager. Well, I think it was two days ago, my daughter, who's usually the most careful of the three kids, and certainly of the six that are here, not the one that I would have predicted <laughs> would put my security deposit in peril. But the kids were super excited, I don't know, a couple of days ago to run down to the creek. And she, full speed ahead, runs right through the screen door <laughs> in uh, in, the, uh, in the patio off the kitchen and just, I mean, creates a massive tear in it. So normally, if I'm the one upstairs, which I was not, it was my wife, I would be the one <laughs> having to grit my teeth and saying, how are we going to fix this? But she bounces like four feet off the screen on her butt. She's okay, but now we've got a screen door with a problem. And so <laughs> I'm like YouTubing how to replace a screen, how to, you know, you can do all these Ace hardware, do-it-yourself kits. Long story short, I found a replacement screen door at our local Lowe's in LJ, went and picked it up this morning. And I'm going to attempt the once-in-a-lifetime, one-and-only screen door repair for 20 bucks tonight. So you will hear on the next BizDad show whether or not we got the security deposit back or we damaged the door permanently. That's a great tease for next week. You must tune in to find out. Will he or won't he? Oh, yeah. Too funny. Well, you guys have a great time up there. Finish up strong, and uh, good luck with that. Uh, YouTube. YouTube videos on how to fix screen doors would be my recommendation. All right, let's wrap things up with this week's Final Four. Twist had a good idea um, for this week's Final Four, and that was the publications that we're reading or where do you get your daily news. In a 24-hour news cycle, you can get news anywhere, right? But what is it uh, that you use in order to, uh, to get that daily news and to stay up to speed on things? Twist? Where do you get your news? I feel like we are just shoved information 24-7 with different publications. And the most simple, easy to read, comes to my phone, only gives me the most important news of the day or of the second, is the AP app, Associated Press app. Final answer. It's amazing. That's a good one, and you didn't even have to call a friend. (laughs) Mine comes in my email. I am a huge fan of email newsletters. In our world, I read Synopsis, uh, D1 Tracker, which is specific to college athletics. The Hustle is a great one, I think is kind of all-encompassing. And then Sports Techie, which is a good one that uh, is specific to our space and plays a lot into what we just talked about in the biz dad, uh, biz news. So that's where I'm getting mine, Andres. How about you? Yeah, I like email newsletters. I start my day typically reading three newspapers. My wife's made me go all digital. She hates newspapers piling up in the driveway. (laughs) So I go Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, New York Times. Those are my three stalwart newspapers. And then some of my favorite newsletters are I read Abnormal Returns. Every day I get that in the afternoon at 2 o'clock, and it's a link fest basically to just a ton of interesting stuff, finance, business, economics, politics, culture, uh, history, just interesting. It's called the Abnormal Returns. I get a newsletter on Sundays, which is really cool, from um, Farnham Street, so I like reading that. And, uh, and then there's just a couple that come out during the day. Typically, Term Sheet is from Fortune, which I think is pretty good. Axios um, puts out a pretty good newsletter. And then 
Street and Smiths. I like reading their business news, their sports business news. Uh, is at the Business Journal. So yeah, those are my top top ones. Yeah, the Business Journal is fantastic. You know, unfortunately, in our business, if it's in the Business Journal, it's it's old news. Um, it comes out once a week on Mondays. The digital version, the daily version, is phenomenal. It's an incredible yeah. organization, and they are the best in covering our business. But we got to figure out how to get on the front end. And what I love about some of those other publications is, you know, that's going to help you understand where the trend is going in our business. So if you see brands that are emerging, you see companies that are making moves and changes, we can hopefully then interpret what are they going to do in the sports entertainment space um, and make news in the sports business journal. That's my goal with trenches is to make news as opposed to just reading other people's news. One of the groups, in the, to wrap up the Final Four, the twist that I read all the time is called Front Office Sports. They have done a great job um, so with the link, you know, the link publication, kind of the way a lot of these newsletters are going. They just do a really good job of tying everything together. You know, hitting on some editorial content that is informative, but also, you know, sharing information and things that are happening in the world of sports and the world of sports business. So, all great things to chime into. I think that Final Four became the final like fifteen. You're getting topics from all three of us and a fourth one to boot sooner or later we're gonna get this thing under an hour maybe 45 if twist has anything to do with it (laughs) but we got a lot to say thanks for tuning in to this week's biz dads